Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Summer is over, and the ever-so-busy, hectic days of autumn are upon us, and I trust you had a relaxed and joyful summer, and if you went on vacation with a spouse and kids, every one of you came back relaxed, refreshed, and recommitted. And like it or not, with school starting and workplace and social obligations gearing up, now is the time to reacclimate ourselves to fall's normal hectic pace of life. And here's a shocking observation, and it's from a large study conducted 10 years ago, but I'd be willing to bet it still rings true today. This 2008 study showed a staggering 55% of us deemed our lives difficult and or struggling And what a tragedy, so many folks being miserable both in their careers and in their personal lives. And how about you? Is your maxed out, stressed out, multitasking life working out for you? And as all your activity, burning the candle at both ends, producing the results and the simple joy in life that you deserve? Well, if not, I have some good news. My next guest, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, MD, is here to tell us why it's possible to accomplish a mindful vacation state of mind that lasts all year long. And she's also here to explain why rest is sacred, a most essential ingredient for quality of life, and why you should never feel guilt or shame in saying no to excessive demands or in taking a break. And here's Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith's remarkable biography. She's an author, speaker, and board-certified internal medicine physician who maintains an active practice near Birmingham, Alabama. She's a national and international media resource on the mind, body, and spirit connection. She's featured in many media outlets, including Women's Day, Red Book, MSNBC, and Prevention Magazine. And she's author of three books, including the acclaimed 2017 release we'll talk about today, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. Sounds like a great objective to have, doesn't it? And hello, Dr. Sandra. It's indeed a privilege to have you with us here today. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, in addition to your amazing range of responsibilities, you're also a wife and mother of small children. How in the world are you able to make a quiet time for rest? That was the challenge. When I first started this journey, I wasn't very restful. I had actually burned out. So it made looking into this topic really more of a life or death type endeavor. I needed to understand what rest to look like, and I needed to figure out how I could stay busy and productive and still get the rest I needed. Yeah, well, in Chapter 1 of your book, Sacred Rest, you reveal how you discovered peace in the midst of the chaos that had become your life by lying down for 10 minutes on a hardwood floor. How are you able to accomplish this moment of, as you call it, focus cleansing, and how did it positively uh, positively impact your life going forward? 
Well, what that did was it showed me that I, it didn't have to be perfect, that I didn't have to have one of these me-time ritualistic <laughs> massage therapy or pedicures and all these things we kind of associate uh, with what rest looks like. And On that particular day, I picked up my your, kids from daycare. Your dog licked you in the face while you were lying. <laughs> exactly. It was sloppy. <laughs> it was messy. And I still found a reprieve in that moment. I mean, my kids were sitting in front of the TV. I was laid out on the floor, and the dog was lapping at my face. <laughs> and, I, and, and what I found was that rest has to really be intentional, that even in the busyness, we can find intentional moments where we quiet ourselves. Yeah. Well, you tell us there are seven types of rest, which fascinated me, that you found lacking in the lives of those you encounter in clinical practice and research. Can you briefly identify those seven and uh, tell us what they are? Sure. The the seven types, just to name them through, are physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. And each one of those affects a different part of just who we are. Um, For example, the physical, a lot of people, when they think about rest, they automatically think about sleep. Well, sleep is just one type of physical rest. It's passive physical rest, whereas physical rest is divided up into both passive and active, with the active being things like yoga, massage therapy, things like what we call leisure walking. So you're not walking to lose weight, but you're actually (laughs) just going very slow, allowing your lymphatic system and your circulatory system to rev up a little bit to improve your your circulation. Yeah, I like that kind of walking, actually. Well, uh, you point out that a deficiency in any one of these types of rest can have an unfavorable impact on health, happiness, relationships, creativity, and productivity. Isn't it possible to be burdened and stressed out on the job but still enjoy wonderful, joyful evenings and weekends with our families or Is that something that isn't going to happen? Well, what happens for most people is that they have to have a wind-down time. And so I see it very often that people who have very stressed-out jobs, if if they aren't intentional about defusing before they come home, they will come home with that tension and that stress and oftentimes end up lashing out at their family members unintentionally. It's just they haven't allowed themselves to to recuperate from the the stressors that they've experienced at work. Yeah, you can't really... uh divide your life up and and say I had a really rotten day of uh, at work but I'm the minute I go outside the office door <laughs> everything's fine <laughs> Exactly. So you have to have a time where you're actually processing through that. If someone at work ticked you off and rubbed you the wrong way, and so you're under a lot of stress and and you're mentally kind of replaying that conversation, if you don't allow time for for you to get some mental rest in that area where you work through whatever that conversation awoke in you, then you're going to take that home and then you're going to carry it into other conversations that are often it's an unfair situation. Because let's say your wife doesn't know what happened at work. No. So she gets the backlash off of it and has no clue why you're even upset. Well, when I'm tired and run down, especially after lunch in the early afternoon, I generally attribute it to not getting enough sleep the night before. But you remind us that rest and sleep are not the same thing and that we only become rested and refreshed with what you call good sleep. Can you please tell us the difference between good sleep and bad sleep and give us any tips on how to get that good night's sleep when we turn the lights out? 
Well, sleep it has many facets to it. So we have, we know about REM and non-REM, but even in REM in non-REM sleep, we have four different stages. Mm-hmm. And the restorative type of sleep is when we get to that deeper level of sleep at stage three and four. Yeah. The first two stages are when you're waking up very easily. So we mm-hmm. see that a lot for people who call themselves light sleepers. And that's how a large number of the population sleeps. They sleep very lightly. Yeah. So they never get into that fully restorative phase of sleep where we actually get the rejuvenation of the neurons and muscle fibers start rebuilding. We never get to that level. So when they wake up the next morning, they wake up still exhausted because they never truly got into that deeper sleep. And for most, getting to deeper levels of non-REM sleep, those stages three and four, require us to to live a, a lifestyle that allows us to eventually, when we get ready to lay down to go to sleep at night, we're already in a rested state. And some I sometimes get the question, well, you know, my, I can't change my job, and it's inertly stressful. So the, what I recommend is to create at least a 10-minute bedtime routine that allows you to transition, because that's what rest is. It's kind of your transition from your daily stress into your peaceful sleep. So there should be a time there where you are analyzing your body, determining whether or not you have any muscle aches or pains that are bothering you, and address them before you lay down in the bed, because otherwise they're going to keep you tense and unable to sleep to look at what your mind's doing and if you're rummaging through some conversation to go ahead and process through that before you try to go to sleep or that'll just try to keep you up i had it was an interesting local physician here in the des moines area that uh, said you shouldn't have any screen on 90 minutes before you go to bed (laughs) which makes 90 minutes is a is would be excellent but most people that's not very realistic no so um because they have things they want to do and you don't have other times day to do it What I find is most people, if they allow at least 30 minutes of wind-down time, and that includes you may be on your screen, but you're not doing things that are going to more to kind of agitate the brain more. In other words, let's not watch a horror movie, (laughs) you know, before (laughs) going to bed or something like that. (laughs) Which turn into a horror movie often. But (laughs) (laughs) well, in in a recent email, you outlined three things that we must stop today to have a better tomorrow. What are these three? I thought they were really good. Oh, now, you're referring to the email that goes out with the people who do the rest quiz. The rest quiz is what I yeah. utilize to help identify what um, most people need to focus on when they do their um evaluation. When most people look at the seven types of rest that I mentioned, yeah. they initially don't understand which of the seven types that they are most likely to need, and so that's part of the rest quiz yeah, assessment I that, that I usually send out. That I needed emotional rest and physical rest the most. I think. <laughs> those are the ones that you pick up. So those three are kind of surprises for <laughs> as a way to help people to to want to take the quiz to kind of see what those extra benefits are. I love those three. Uh, if you can recall them, I I got them right in front of me. If you can't, but the, the three things we should not do today. <laughs> we must sure, stop. go ahead and read them. Stop trying to do it all. I like that. Prioritize what's important to you and give those people and activities an honored place in your life. And stop ignoring your body. As you tell us long before illness hits, your body will give you warning signs of pending disaster. So listen to it. And I like the third one, stop running away from truth. What you need to do is allow your body, mind, and spirit the space and grace to heal naturally during periods of intentional rest. And I think those are all um, great things we should stop avoiding. 
<laughs> and again, that's from the restquiz.com assessment. But absolutely, I think for the most part, for most people, if if they if they're even at the point where I find a lot of my patients where they show up in my office and they just know something's not right in their life, they just feel like they're not at their best, they're not a hundred percent. That for most people, there's some type of rest deficit in one of those seven areas, and it may be huge or it may be a minute deficit, but it's enough that they can tell something's off balance. Yeah. And so once they do the rest quiz, they get the, as you mentioned, the free emails that kind of go through a couple of different tips to try to help them move forward. Yeah. Well, we don't have time to explore all seven, but let's talk about a couple of the uh, kinds of rest and how to achieve them. For example, how can we accomplish emotional rest? How do we tone down our emotions so that we can approach daily life on a more relaxed, even keel? How do we do that? Well, that's the thing. Emotional rest is about the freedom to be authentic and to be able to express our feelings yeah. and to, to recognize who in our life actually um, we're ha- exhibiting more people-pleasing behaviors with. Because oh. I, I think sometimes we have a tendency to say yes to things we shouldn't necessarily say yes to because we don't want to offend someone yeah. or we don't want to um, kind of be confrontational. But healthy personal boundaries by nature are confrontational. They have to be. And so we have to be willing to... To, to kind of lay down that people-pleasing behavior and understand what our own personal needs and emotions are, and then to address those truths about ourselves and about what we're feeling, oh, and to be God. able to authentically share that with the people that we care about. Oh, I find yes. particularly with even teens, when I'm talking to them or, or counseling them, one of the big things is that because they want to stay um, recognized as having it all together in their peer groups, that they sometimes fear just being truthful about where they're at. And as a physician, you know, when I'm in the emergency room and I'm with a parent whose child just commit, you know, attempted to commit suicide and we're having this conversation, the number one thing that the parent and their friends tell me is we had no idea. And that's very sad to me when you have people who love you to that level, but you don't feel that you have the, the, uh, the freedom to just be authentic about where you're at. Yeah, that's so true. How about, uh, let's say uh, some of my relationships are rocky. How would you advise me to take a social rest? Do I need to place myself in an isolation chamber, or how do I do that? <laughs> well, it starts by, actually, you have a great start. The start by having the wisdom to recognize which of those relationships revive you and which ones exhaust you. <laughs> because, you know, if there are some people who are, by nature, exhausting to us. And so knowing that, when we have to spend large amounts of time around those people, the way you get social rest is by counteracting that by being in intentional about spending some time with those people who revive you. And that could be as simple as uh, a quick phone call to someone who cheers you up. Or, you know, now we have all the electronics, so you can do things like Skype or FaceTime or Zoom. But it's ways of kind of making sure that you counteract some of those negative people in your life with positive people. And at work, it could be as simple as you have a meeting with someone who's negative. Instead of just, you know, sending an email to a coworker down the hall who actually is someone who's a life giver to you, someone who's yeah. positive, actually walk down the hall and to actually spend a little bit of time in that person's presence well, to get yeah. the emotional rest you need, or the yeah, social you, rest, so rather, if they're present. get uh, rest in somebody else's presence like that. I, you know, most of us think of rest as going off in the corner and <laughs> cooling down or meditating or something, but uh, there are other types of rest, obviously, like you point out, that uh, 
And what you're mentioning is for a lot of people is the sensory rest, that silence yeah. and solitude. Yeah. And that's needed, you know, at some at some times. But I think we when we kind of look at rest as just being that, just the cessation of activity, just sitting in silence, we really lose the benefit of all these other types of rest. And then we don't understand why it looks like rest doesn't work for us. Yeah. It's not working because we're not getting the right type yeah. we actually need. Well, now that the fall slate of after-school activities are resuming, our kids also are moving from the relaxed, laid-back summer to the hectic rat race of autumn. Any suggestions on how we and par- as parents can help our, most of us, you know, middle-aged have preteens and teenagers, how to help them find balance between work, school, and fun, and how do we ensure that they include rest breaks during the day when it's filled with school, after-school activities, homework, and socializing in person and on the uh, smartphone. <laughs> yeah, I, this uh, my kids are at that age. They are in the teen, preteen age. Oh. So this is uh, this is something that we're actively having to work through. And what I'm finding is at school, you know, obviously as a parent, you don't really have a whole lot of control over no. what happens about their school day. No. But when they come, when they're the time after school, including even their sports activities and yeah. their homework and all of that, yeah. is helping them to be mindful of of just a what I call a restful lifestyle. For example, when my sons come home and they have loads of homework that they have to do, they may have two hours worth of homework. I still encourage them to practice things like flow break cycles, or body fluidity, which are basically two types of restful techniques that we use in the business world to help people who work with computers from getting chronic neck and back pain, from getting carpal tunnel syndrome, and from getting eye strain. So I teach them those same techniques so that you don't sit still for two hours trying to hack out this homework without taking a break or without um, making sure you're having some moments where you're stretching and you're uh, relaxing your muscles. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, in part two of your book, Sacred Rest, you talk about the gifts of rest, and we don't have time to get into all 12 of them, which you lay out, but uh, let's touch on what uh, what is the, the gift of choice. That seems like the key to the whole thing, and that uh, you, then, uh, you and I and each one of us squarely takes charge of our own destiny, and uh, we can choose what we want, and we don't depend upon the goodwill of others or lucky breaks or that kind of thing. How do, what do we do to uh, need to do to receive this gift of choice? Well, the gift of choice is, is just, as you mentioned, it's knowing that it is on you. It's your choice whether or not you do an activity. It's your choice whether or not you say no or yes to something that someone's asking you to do. It's your choice if you decide rest and what even what type of rest, yeah. what your restful activities look like. And I think too often we get into this mindset that we need someone's permission to rest, that we yeah. need permission to uh, or we feel guilty if we rest, but it's really a choice. And once you start um, understanding that when we are resting, we're actually just restoring ourselves to do greater work. You know, it's not a lazy mentality. It's not a slacker mentality. It's actually a a, a very proactive way of managing your life because you never allow yourself to get so depleted that you're either doing poor work or you get to the point where you don't want to work anymore. You don't enjoy it. And that will lead to the poor work if you get to that point. Yes. (laughs) Well, you describe, uh, let's talk a bit about your uh, latest book, Sacred Rest, you described in the promotion it as a lavish buffet, not a happy meal. <laughs> what do you mean by this? 
Well, I think too often when we read books, we hit them as if they're even nonfictions. We hit them as if they're a novel to be consumed. It's something that we're going to eat quickly, just like we do fast food. We're going to get it down, and we're going to enjoy it in the moment. Then we're going to be done with it. You know, it's it's in and out, and that's not really what this book's about. Uh, it's really meant to be more of a resource. I look at it more like a reference book. So when you are in your life and you're you're at that moment where you're thinking, I need to go to a doctor because I feel bad. I'm not sleeping well. I don't feel good. My body aches. I'm getting sick more than all of my friends. I'm feeling a little anxious or depressed. You can start with doing the assessment. You can go to restquiz.com, take the assessment, see where you're scoring uh, abnormally at, and then go back to the book and take a look and read through that particular section to determine, okay, so maybe this is the next step I need to try to practice this week to see how it affects me because different rest techniques will work for different people. It's very individualized. And so I don't expect someone to always have the same type of rest deficits. Our life are constantly changing. Our stressors are constantly changing. So your rest deficit will constantly change. And unless you're able to quickly assess which deficit you're in, you're likely to start going down the downward spiral of that and then get to a point where you feel bad before you even take a look to see what the problem is. Yeah, and that's, that's what we want to prevent. Yeah, that's such a – and um, as, as you point out in your book, uh, it says it doesn't have, offer the same solution to everybody to accomplish what's needed to be our best. So each person has their own rest deficits, and uh, it's so great to uh, – go through that and determine what your rest deficit is. And, and while we're on that subject, you mentioned that great quiz. Uh, the uh, Tell us a little bit about that quiz and how somebody can access it, because I took that quiz and uh, it was most interesting. The quiz is very simple. It's at restquiz.com, and it's a complete assessment um, of where you stand in the seven different types of rest. As I tell people, you can't pass or fail it. Some people send me an email and say, I failed the quiz. You can't fail it. It's an assessment. It's just to let you know where you're currently at. And from that, you can kind of fine-tune what type of rest that you start focusing in on because it it would be very um, overwhelming for someone who feels depleted to just look at all seven and try to fix all seven at one time. When really it's probably just one or two that are really the key culprits that are giving you the biggest problem. And those are the ones you should start with. Yeah. Well, in conclusion, as my guest, Dr. Sondra Dalton-Smith, MD, has just revealed, rest no longer remains optional for those of us deserving or desiring our best life, a life filled with happiness, creativity, self-satisfaction, great relationships, productivity and dedication to others and the good news she informs us that rest and rejuvenation is possible any time of the year and that you and i can choose to step away prioritize and lighten the load regardless of our present rat race and prior to today i'd never thought about the seven unique types of rest that all of us need to perform at our best and that's physical mental spiritual emotional sensory social and creative and uh, to learn more, I highly recommend you visit uh, Dr. Sandra's website. And what, again, is that website? The website is ichoosemybestlife.com. Oh, I see. So you can also go to that website and access the test there as well. At uh, Yes, all of my resources are there, links to the book, the first chapter of the book, lots of resources there. 
Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I, I recommend, I guarantee if you do that, which I went to that website, you'll come away with a new appreciation of rest as something indeed sacred, valuable, and fully worthy of respect. And you'll no longer consider rest and relaxation and vacation time as something optional, something to skip whenever there's simply too much that has to get done. And thanks a million, Dr. Sondra Dalton-Smith, for joining us with your sage advice. Thanks so much for having me. And best of success in spreading your sacred rest message far and wide. Oh, thank you so much. Take care. Well, before we go, have you ever heard of the term returnship? <laughs> A returnship is designed to help mature job seekers applying to return to work after a uh, an extended uh, absence from uh, on the job and also employees who are attempting to update their skill sets and broaden their skills so they can move forward. And I recently came across an article by Eric Tittner on the uh, jobmarket.com, and here's a summary. Those among us who have been in the workforce for a while have no doubt witnessed a tidal wave of change in the work world, everything from technological innovation to globalization and how employers and employees approach the very notion of work has undergone seismic shifts in recent years. The old pyramid style of management, everything else has been updated, and it can be a real challenge to keep up. And if you're someone who has taken a career break for whatever reason, and you're uh, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, and you're looking to jump back into employment, the challenge to get up to speed can be very daunting. On top of the perception gap, your skill set and industry knowledge may need a refresh or a revamp. And although this may seem like an insurmountable obstacle, according to Tittner, jumping back into an industry in order to build a new career is completely doable. And companies are recognizing that a significant and potentially valuable segment of the workforce consists of those like you and me who are looking to return to work after an extended absence. And uh, who are making a real effort, and these companies are making a real effort to help uh, folks make that transition back. And as a result, we're seeing a rise in a number of companies that are offering returnships. And I'd never heard of this before, but it certainly sounds like a great idea. Uh, they're essentially internships for experienced job hunters who are looking to return to work but need a refresher course to uh, get up to speed regarding changes in their industry, and they may need to build their skills, especially technologically. And in many instances, individuals who re-enter the workforce through returnships, according to Tittner, are able to get back on their professional feet, prove themselves, and get satisfying full-time positions. So um, where can you find a returnship opportunity? That's the question I'd like to know because I've never even heard them. Does this sound just like the sort of opportunity you're looking for? Well, if so, there are a few options for engaging a returnship, according to this article. Uh, some companies have established structured returnship programs that you can apply to, and the number of companies that are developing similar initiatives is on the rise. I bet there are also a lot of informal programs that may not be formally called that, but there are companies looking for experienced uh, workers. For example, IBM has a formal 12-week reentry program for experienced technologists 
as part of its initiative to diversify its workforce and source the best available talent at various levels. And isn't that a smart tactic for any company? You can search directly to determine companies in your industry or your geographic area who have similar programs, and often companies will provide information about applying for a returnship and uh, open employment opportunity. Uh, they open employment opportunities and positions directly on their websites. So try, try creating a targeted list of companies in your field that you'd love to work for and do some research to determine if any of them uh, offer returnships or re-entry programs that you might be qualified for. If not, you can always contact their HR departments and suggest that they consider starting such a program. And if you, uh, if you can effectively convince them of your potential, you just might be among the first set of program participants. You know, returning to the workforce after an extended absence, uh, especially if you're uh, maybe raising kids, um, doing volunteer work, whatever, can be a real challenge in today's rapidly changing ultra con competitive uh, work environment, but it certainly isn't an impossible mission. And if you've been sidetracked or out of the workforce for a while and are eager to get back in, I know a lot of people are doing that now that there's low unemployment, uh, then a returnship program uh, might be the answer. And it might be the perfect bridge between your current uh, frustration and full-time employment in your dream job. And in closing, I'd just like to speak directly to you business owners and hiring managers and the message, it only makes sense to hire and promote employees of all ages and to blend in their talents. Uh, doesn't that make a lot of sense to you? Young, high-tech employees who are masters of the computer, the smartphone, and the Internet, who are on top of uh, current uh, organization structure and uh, who de uh, desire to participate uh, and add their young, innovative, new ideas and mature, experienced veterans who uh, may be able to uh, get, uh, may not be up to date on all the latest software and electronic devices, but who have a wealth of experience on what works and what doesn't work uh, with your and your company and in your industry, and they understand the technology of the basic products that you manufacture from top to bottom, uh, then instead of just internships or returnships, you should uh, encourage co-mentoring. Uh, young, high-tech millenniums mentor the older uh, tech novices on uh, mastering the latest tech gadget or software and uh, on what uh, people their age think about your product uh, and uh, what you need to do to attract those buyers. And the veteran employees uh, mentor the inexperienced young guns on the competitive nature of your industry, your firm's history, and uh, what you currently are uh, making or what uh, what makes sense competitively and what doesn't, because the young guns don't have all the right new ideas, do they? No competition between age groups, just circles of cooperation. And sure, the future belongs to the millennials, <laughs> but we baby boomers and Gen Xers 
still play a crucial role in today's technology, in today's business. And uh, that's the best of all worlds when we've got all ages cooperating and uh, in circles of cooperation. So now go for it. And don't forget to preview my book on organization renewal and rejuvenation, including uh, extensive information on why uh, baby boomers and Gen Xers still make sense. People over 40 still belong in the company. Uh, That book is Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines by Roy C. Richards. And tune into our next program when our guests will talk about uh, reinventing your career at any age and uh, why we can all be rich, including you and me. Sounds like pretty interesting topics, don't you? Uh, Don't they? Uh, Tune in next week to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 